All right, I think I'm probably supposed to introduce myself for the audio purposes for those who will listen later on. So my name is Shelby Pratt, and I serve as the finance director for the Ohio Ministry Network. I've been there for about, well, I guess I'm leaning towards nine years now. I'm over eight and a half, so leaning closer to nine. Uh, have come from Oklahoma and Missouri and... North Carolina and Missouri and North Carolina and Rhode Island and Massachusetts and Missouri and Ohio. So those, that's where God has taken me in ministry throughout my 20-plus uh, ministry career. Um, but Ohio has become home, and we love it. Uh, today we're talking about compensation. Uh, I've officially titled the... The session, Pay Your Pastor Right, Explore Minister's Compensation. For some, this may be very basic in parts, and I, I'm not going to apologize for that. Um, others, it will be new information that is not necessarily tied to your current payroll function for pastors, but it's just some recent developments that I wanted to make sure everybody was aware of that you may not have heard about. Uh, so, Welcome. Welcome. I want to talk today about compensation planning, um, and I certainly I try to leave time for questions and answers, but at any time, if there's a particular question you have on whatever topic I may be touching at that time, please you know, flag me down and uh, let me know, because I'll be happy to go ahead and pause right there. But I will have a dedicated time of Q&A at the end as well. At that point in time, we will open the floor. It won't have to just be this particular topic, um, but this is a com- one I get a lot of questions in this arena anyway. Um, but if there's anything else in the church administration or finance world, I'd be glad to try to answer those questions for you. I often, this is the first year I have not done a strict Q&A question um, and question and answer period uh, because uh, usually I'll have a group like this and it's just an hour of questions and answers. But I decided I wanted to do a, a specific topic this year. But if we had time to answer any other questions at the and I will be glad to But first, before we, we get going very far, I want to encourage you. I know that at times compensation can be a touchy subject. And so I want you to understand that I, I get that. I've been there. I deal with that all the time. Church resources can be extremely tight. I know that very well. And so I, I want to help you maximize what you can do for your pastors. And I know that that every that a church may not be able to employ every single possibility of a way of building a, a package of uh, compensation for their pastor, but I want to help you do the very best that you can as churches to to build those packages that make it favorable to keep and or attract uh, good personnel for your, your pastoral leadership. Uh, we want to be able to thank those that are in church leadership because we know that they, they do give up a lot. And, and so in taking care of the flock, we want to take care of our, our shepherds. Um, some churches, you know, as I said, they're not in a position to do everything. Um, if there is a missing piece, you know, I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm saying here's here's the next step that you might be thinking about, and I'm going to try to give you a you know an idea or two, a tip or tip or two, and how you might be able to add some of those additional pieces into your compensation structure. But don't let a missing piece discourage you. Please don't don't let it do that. Just let that become a goal for your future for your church. I really wish I had a podium so I didn't have to be looking down because I don't want to hold my note my iPad up at eye level because then that would be weird. Um, so 
we're going to take the time to review just a couple of typical pieces of a minister's compensation. But before we get into talking about specific pieces, I want to talk about timing. So when, when should you start talking about compensation planning for your church? Any guesses? Well, certainly before you hire a pastor, because you do want to have that figured out, because again, you want to be able to offer something good. When you're already in that scenario of, of you have a pastoral, you know, a solo senior pastor, or you have a pastoral team, then you want to start talking about that. You want that to be during your, um, you actually want to start talk about compensation before you start talking about the rest of the budget. So I'm saying you're going to talk about compensation before you do your budget preparing. You know what? As I'm seeing everybody diligently write things down, I forgot to mention something to you. If you have signed up for this class using the app, and I'm going to stand up because that chair is driving me nuts already. Um, if you signed up for the class through the app or you made, you know, this is the class you plan to attend, then I have added this whole presentation as a PDF file um, in, in, the, in the, the schedule online. So you're able to go in and download all of what you're going to see today as the notes for the class. So um, I'm not saying don't write anything down, but you don't need to feel like you have to write down every word that you're seeing on screen because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be available for you for download. But I did not just upload this, this presentation. I've uploaded, I think it's about seven or eight different things as attachments uh, that I may or may not talk about today, um, but they are all compensation-related resources. There are a couple of articles that I've written. One is on you know, answering what goes into a housing allowance, uh, and then it, and it had sample forms for making sure that you properly uh, declare and then the board properly designates the housing allowance. So those two forms are attached. Uh, there is a, an article on self-employment assistance, and I may, I may touch on that a little bit later on, but uh, if you, and so I'm not going to get into detail there, but there's an article there as well as then um, a, a calculator, it's a spreadsheet calculator that I have used for 17 or 18 years probably that I've used to calculate my own self-employment tax liability. It doesn't touch anything on the federal income tax side because if you're doing a voluntary withholding agreement, I'm getting ahead of my presentation, but if you're already doing that with the W-4 calculation, that's taking care of the, the income tax responsibility of the minister, but the calculator that I, that I use uh, helps to determine the self-employment liability that they need to keep track of as well. So there are about seven or eight other attachments to the, to the schedule in, in the mobile app. So if you want to take advantage of that, uh, please feel free to do so. But you want to start talking about your compensation planning before budget preparation. So because because the budget for most of our churches, I know it is for my office, it is for my church, where my wife and I pastor, that compensation is the biggest expense of our whole budget. And you know, a good rule of thumb is going to be somewhere between 30 to 50 percent of your expense budget will be uh, compensation related. You say, well, why such a big range? Um, another good rule of thumb is 30-30-30. 30 percent of your expenses are salaries and benefits. 30 percent of your expenses are facilities as far as mortgage or rent. 
and then the other 30% being your operations to just do your church ministries. And you say, well, that's only 90%. And that's exactly right, because if you cannot spend 10% of your income every year, you'll, be, you'll have a nice little reserve fund for those downtimes in the economy. So, but 30 to 50% uh, may be compensation, and that's surrounding whether or not you do have um, obligations on a monthly basis to have facilities available, whether that be a mortgage payment that you're paying principal and interest on or rent payment like my church has that we have to rent the facility that we're in. If, you're, if you have a paid-off facility and you're just doing the regular maintenance, paying, covering for all that every year, then you're not paying anywhere near like you would if you were paying a monthly obligation. And so you're, you, you may spend more of your budget because in compensation, simply because you can. But if you're paying for rent or you're paying for a mortgage, then that's going to take away some from what you have available for compensation. But compensation is often the largest piece of a church's budget, so you want to make sure that you spend a good amount of time in focusing on the compensation uh, that's available. One of the attachments that's in the that's in the scheduling app is a is what are is what actually John Musgrave, the church health office, provides is just a compensation worksheet so that you can help kind of put the numbers down for all those different areas of of expense that we're going to get talking to talking about today. Uh, this is something that you want to do on an annual basis. You want to do this on an annual basis, and you oh I forgot to say, and you want to do this not at the initiation of the pastor and all the pastors in the room said, "Amen." Amen. Uh, this this should not be something that your pastor needs to come hat in hand uh, and you know with the puppy dog eyes and you know everything. I'm just going to stop there. You don't need me to go any further with that with that illustration. Um, but you want to do this on an annual basis. Um, professionals are accustomed to receiving annual increases. And your ministers, our pastors, have have studied to become, and I don't mean I'm not using this in a crass sense at all, but they they take very seriously just as much as any other professional what they do in their field, and you want to you want to uh, have their compensation based on that merit and based on changes in the cost of living. Uh, ideally, a minister is going to be honored for their diligent and faithful service, and. And so hopefully you can provide more, but at a minimum, I would encourage our churches to consider a cost of living adjustment uh, for at least for any, on an annual basis. Uh, we've been the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, Labor and Statistics has been tracking uh, the consumer price index for over a hundred years now. It goes back to 1913 that they have been tracking the, the perpetual increase in the cost of goods sold for the last 50 years alone. The average increase in cost of living is three and a quarter percent, about three and a quarter percent. And so, if if you if the church does not provide some kind of increase just to keep up with inflation, then in effect, the minister has actually received a reduction in pay without without reducing the amount of the paycheck. They've actually received a reduction in pay simply because it's going to that check is going to go less far because the the erosion that's caught due by inflation. Um, how many? Let's say we are here in in 2020. So how many guesses that a a 1985 dollar? How much do you think that that's worth today? Not in the value side of accumulation, but how far would it spend today? 
If you received a dollar back in 1985, how much could you buy with that today? Oh, it's better than that, thank God. <laughs> uh, it's, it's worse than that. Not six, not six cents or 60 cents. It's 41 cents. So it's lost about 60% of its value over that amount of time. But a, a $1960, so now 60 years ago, could only buy 11 cents of what it once could buy. So that is what inflation does over time, where it just, it's, your dollar does not buy as much as it once did. So that's why it's important to consider this as an annual component. Okay, and speaking of the components, let's talk about that. Compensation components. The first one I want to talk about is salary. Salary. And the first part of my slides, there's very little on there, just uh, visual for us to talk about. This is the portion of the minister's compensation that is, um, that is comparable to, to any other worker as far as how it is taxed. Ministers are taxed differently, but as far as what this this income is subject to, this is fully subject to federal income taxes, state income taxes, local income taxes, school district income taxes. I, when I moved to Ohio nine almost nine years ago and the first paycheck that I got had all these extra taxes, I had never lived in a state that had local or school district taxes taken out of it. The property taxes for those areas all took care of that. So I had never seen that on my paycheck, and I'm like, really? Whoa, okay. Uh, so that was new for me. Um, so salary is the piece of, of a minister's compensation that is, that is fully subject to all those income taxes. Um, but it is also subject to self-employment taxes, uh, which is different than every other worker out there. Um, a minister is an odd bird, and the non-ministers cannot say amen to that here, um, I can say that because I, I am one. Uh, ministers are, are declared by the IRS to be self-employed in regards to Social Security and Medicare. Um, there's no real rationale for this. Um, in my mind, I'm sure there's probably was a long time ago when this was, when this was set up, but uh, they simply say if you are a minister, then in regards to Social Security and Medicare, you are self-employed. So, you, so there's not a cost sharing of, self of Social Security and Medicare taxes for a minister like there is for every other worker. And even even including the church, you know, bookkeeper or secretary or custodial employee that the the church pays half and the employee pays half. Um, a minister has a actually has a greater tax burden because self-employed people are their own boss, and so they they are both employer and employee, and therefore they pay self-employment taxes, which instead of a sharing between employee and employer, they pay all of that. Uh, so, instead of paying just 7.65%, which is what every non-minister employee pays in regards to their Social Security and Medicare, a minister pays 15.3% in self-employment taxes to cover their Social Security and Medicare liability. And we'll come back to that maybe in a little bit. Number two is housing allowance. The second component is housing allowance. This is, the port, this is also cash compensation that is paid to the minister. So the salary and the housing are the two components that are paid to the minister, and then there are different tax scenarios that, that uh, apply. This one is 
not subject to income taxes of any kind, but it is still fully subject to self-employment taxes. Uh, so I, I don't want... I don't know if anyone has ever had this, but I know when I became a Greenhorn Church Administrator back in 1999, um, that's when I started realizing the church where I was serving had an had a, you know, unclear understanding of what is called a dual tax status for ministers, where they have income taxes on the salary portion of their of their wage, and then they have self-employment taxes on all of that that you see there, salary and housing. So some some of the board members at our church at that point in time, they said, well, you know, ministers get a tax-free housing allowance. And I would say you are absolutely correct in regards to income taxes. And they would say, well, what do you mean? I would say, because they would put every payroll-related tax under the umbrella of income tax incorrectly. Because income taxes are one type of tax, but Social Security and Medicare are another type of tax. They're all payroll taxes, but the tax treatment of how they apply to a minister is much different. So a, they didn't understand that the tax-free housing allowance is worth this much to a minister when the burden of self-employment tax is worth this much to a minister. It's, it's much heavier tax burden in regards to Social Security and Medicare than the income tax portion that they save on their housing allowance. Um, so it's not really a... And even, and even a church parsonage is subject to self-employment taxes. So those churches who have thought, well, we're providing free housing to our minister... They're not paying a monthly payment in rent or anything like that, correct, but they have a value that is a value to that minister, and that minister has to pay self-employment taxes on that value. Just, how do they come up with that value of the parsonage? That is a great question, and I will refer you to the article that's attached into the notes. But I'll give you the, the brief version of it. Uh, the simplest way to do that is check your local newspaper for comparable housing that's for rent because it's subject to the fair rental value. Um, the, if you want to make it a little more, and because the, the IRS has given no clear guidance on how to set fair rental value, they just said that's the standard, but didn't give you a way to measure it. That's the IRS. Um, so, I, you know, so that's like the, the lowest level way I could think of is you know, see what local houses are renting for in the newspaper. If you wanted to get a little bit more uh, accurate number you could if you have a realtor that you have a relationship with in your church or something they could actually probably give you a, an opinion of, of what that rental value would be based on the size and square footage and, and so forth but that's not the only piece of it because then there's utilities involved there's furnishings involved it's it, that fair rental value as furnished plus utilities is the measure um, but they haven't given a great way to determine all that but that article that's attached in the the notes for the class has uh, has that information in it um, there is a key uh, key rule for key rule for the housing allowances as I mentioned earlier there's a designation process that's two step and so the minister will turn in a declaration form where they estimate their expenses but that in and of itself is not a is not a housing allowance that's them asking for housing allowance from the church the church board must officially designate in their minutes, uh, the amount that's going to be paid as housing allowance for the minister uh, before any housing payments are made. 
Because if, if any payments are made before it is officially designated, then that's all salary, and there's no, there's no income tax benefit on that portion of the, of the income. Um, so it's a two-step process to declare it and then have it designated by the church. Now, it can be designated for future years. You don't have to, you don't have to redo it every year, though it is advisable. Um, but let's say a minister doesn't, the dollar value, dollar amount hasn't changed. Their rent is still the same or their mortgage payment is still the same. They think their ex- actual expenses are going to be roughly the same. Then when the church puts a housing allowance in place, they can say, we are declaring for the, ta- for the uh, calendar year 2020 a housing that of, of Pastor Jones's $40,000 compensation, 20000 will be salary and 20000 will be housing allowance. And this housing allowance will be designated for 2020 and for future years un- unless otherwise provided, meaning until it's changed. That way you have that safety net that if there wasn't a, a new approval in December of 2020, Pastor Jones still has housing coming into January of 2021 and on. Uh, you can do it that way. Any questions on on salary or housing components yet? Yes, sir. Um, what if the housing allowance is overestimated on purpose to cover possible purchases and then it's not all used? So the question for the recording purposes is: What if there's what if there's excess housing? You 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 uh, declare designate a higher amount than what is actually uh, used. Um, the housing allowance article that's attached to the notes answers that exact question. But again, I'll give a brief a brief answer here. Um, that's always what I recommend: is always guess high because you can always have excess housing converted to taxable salary, but you cannot go the other way. So uh, let's say that in that $40,000 package scenario, instead of going 2020, let's say that they said, okay, well, well, uh, $30,000 of it is salary and $10,000 is housing. Okay. Well, at the end of the year, Pastor June is taxes and he realizes, oh, wait, I could have had a $20,000 housing allowance. Well, guess what happens? He's going to pay taxes on on all thirty thousand as as salary because you can't take the the salary and turn it back into housing allowance. But if you go the other way and say, okay, we're going to have a forty thousand dollar package, we're going to do thirty thousand as housing and ten thousand as salary. Get to the end of the year and it's only a twenty thousand dollars, the amount that can actually be excluded as housing allowance. Well, then all that the ta- all the minister has to do is when they're filing their taxes is in probably that first line on the 1040 is they've put in that they had 10,000 in additional income. So they've taken 30 they've taken 30,000 in housing, reduced it to 20. That means they maximized their housing. They they got the benefit of $20,000 in housing and the other 10 they need to pay taxes on still. Uh, so it's, I, I usually recommend that because you don't know what's going to come up. We bought a house at the end of, and we closed at the end of November this year. Don't buy a house in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Okay? It was not, yeah, uh, it was not advisable. But we did it. And so, but you never know when something like that's going to happen or you have a dishwasher break or a clothes dryer you've got to rep- replace. So I always encourage, estimate a little higher. You can always turn that back into salary, but you can't go the other way. So that's absolutely fine. Good question. Good question. Yeah, Ken. Just point the, the board isn't be concerned about the debt 
Yeah, there are different. So, who's responsible for for the excess in housing allowance? So, my my recommendation is always that's going to be on the taxpayer to do what they have to do. So, the board's responsibility is simply to designate the housing allowance based on the based on what was provided by the by the minister, and then the minister is the one that is responsible. The church could go to the go to the extreme uh, the extent. <laughs> the extent, probably would be an extreme, of actually requiring that the minister turn in all of his receipts and everything, but you don't want to have to be responsible for me. Deb doesn't want, Deb, Deb does not want Cody Winkler to turn in all of his housing allowance related receipts for up at Dayspring. Uh, and, and frankly, the church probably does not want to take on that liability of doing that. Leave that on the shoulders of the taxpayer, the minister. Good question, though. Did someone else start to raise their hand over here as I was turning my head? Okay. All right. Next piece of the pie is benefits. Benefits. We talk about a couple of main. So, so these topics, these bullet points, I'm sure have not been new information to anyone so far. Um, health insurance is the first component of benefits that that we probably most commonly think of. Um, if it, if at all possible, health insurance is an absolute necessity. Um, Pastor, if you are paying for it out of pocket and you're not getting reimbursed, um, I would encourage you to work with your board because in that scenario, it's a matter simply of restructuring your compensation package. Uh, that if you're having to pay for it out of pocket, you probably are not getting enough. You probably are not itemizing deductions because you have a housing allowance anyway. So you're probably not itemizing, itemizing deductions and so you're not getting the actual benefit of deducting those health insurance premiums on your personal taxes. But there are things, and one of the things I'm going to talk about is a, is a plan that is available um, for health reimbursement for, for all employers that you simply, if you're already paying for it out of pocket, just ask the board to restructure your compensation package so that maybe your salary comes down and they then pay for or reimburse for uh, your health insurance premiums and so forth. Uh, if a pastor's spouse works outside the church, it may be possible for the pastor to be added to that spouse's insurance. That's we I've seen that a number of times with some of our ministers where they they will be attached to a spouse's health insurance, and especially if maybe their, their spouse is a school teacher, that may be better than what the church maybe could even be able to provide. Uh, that's just a for instance uh, scenario. The church can reimburse if if the spouse is able to add the pastor to his or her insurance plan, then the church can can provide a reimbursement of what they had to if they had to take money out of her or his paycheck to cover those premiums. The church could reimburse that. However, that could not be reimbursed as tax free money because most likely on the spouse's insurance plan, they are probably already using a Section 125 plan. And so when the dollars are being taken from the spouse's paycheck, it's coming out pre-tax over there. So it's being pre-taxed on the spouse's plan. So if the church does pay 500 or whatever it was to add the full family or the minister to the spouse's insurance, then that's going to have to be taxable income in that environment because the pre-tax is over in the other payroll system. Does that make sense? Okay. 
All right. Retirement is the other component um, for benefits compensation. Uh, everything I mentioned regarding inflation earlier applies again here. Um, you know, uh, this topic applies to ministers and board members alike. Everybody, we need to plan for our future. Um, young ministers, especially, twenty-something um, or thirty-something. Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. So I got two, probably our youngest guys in here. All right. So listen closely if you're not if you're not doing this already. I used to work for Assemblies of God Financial Services in their retirement planning. That's when I first ever walked through the doors of the Ohio District Council Incorporated when they were on once uh, Dublin Granville Road. This would be back in like 2003, um, 2003 or 2004. Um, so I used to work for AG Retirement, uh, and so I'd, I've got a little bit of that nerd in me still. Um, so the Russell 2000 Index is, the, is what they use is the foundation for the screened investments that are available through the Assemblies of God Retirement Services. Uh, they do have screened and non-screened investments, and because some people want a little bit of potential more return because, let's be honest, unfortunately, what we would all classify as sin stocks always do well. Even during even during recessions, so some you know uh, so some want the screen investments. That's wonderful. Non-screen are available. Fixed income is available. But uh, the the Russell 2000 index is the basis that they use for their for their screen investments. Uh, its best 20 years of annual returns were about 15 percent per year for 20 years. Its worst 20 years showed annual returns of about of still about 6% per year. So on average that's about 10.5% per year, which is a really strong investment return. So assuming that scenario, a 25-year-old, so let's let's go with our 27-year-olds, if you put in $1,000 per year until you were 42. So we're talking 15 years. Okay. At the Based on those assumed returns, you would earn, you would accumulate $401,000 by age 67. Only putting in $15,000 out of pocket. Okay? If a 40-year-old, so we'll use a 42-year-old because we're trying to keep our 27-year-old example here. So someone who starts 15 years later, if that person put in $1,000 per month and waited for until age 65, or 67 in this case, again, to try to keep the same number of years, they would accumulate $106,000. In order to, to match what the 27-year-old accomplished, they would actually have to put in $4,000 per month to get to the same $400,000 that the, that the 27-year-old was able to, to reach. Uh, it's, sim it's the time value of money. One dollar now is worth four dollars fifteen years from now. Basically, is kind of what that says. I, when I was just looking at it yesterday, I found this site that I never found before. And basically, what has happened is, due to inflation, the cost of goods have doubled every tw every twenty years. They've doubled every twenty years. Yeah. So it's it's not pretty. Uh, retirement funding is not necessarily the sole responsibility of the church, though. I do recognize that 
you know, it is a it it can be a, a benefit a benefit that is added. It can make it attractive to attract uh, new new uh, pastor or if a pastor especially is coming from another fellowship. Uh, I mentioned Dayspring. I don't know what Cody Winkler, who's our new one of our newer ministers, if he wherever he came from, he may have been accustomed to to providing or receiving co- retirement compensation. And I don't know of Dayspring, so I'm just this is a hypothetical example. But he may say, you know what, I really need that compensation because I've been accustomed to that. And so that may be something then that a pastor has to wrestle with. So if you can add these things in in advance, build those as, as part of a compensation package, then it, it doesn't make that scramble as difficult later on when you're trying to, to attract new, new personnel. One quick question. Yeah. Um, in those examples, you said the 27-year-old putting in 1000 a year. Did you mean a month or a year? In, uh, in, I'm sorry, 1000 a year. And you said a 40-year-old. Four thousand per year. I said that wrong. Thank you. A thousand per year for the twenty-seven-year-old, or four thousand per year for the for the forty-two-year-old. I apologize. Thank you, PK. Thank you. Uh, I said that wrong. I even had it right here per year. So my bad. Should have read, read my notes. I said that four thousand a month. Holy cow! I couldn't do that if I. Yeah. Whatever. Four thousand per year. Essentially, waiting 15 years to retire, you have to put in four times the investment in order to in order to be there. Um, but again, I don't think it's the, the total responsibility of the church. It's something that can be a shared responsibility because ultimately, and this is when I you know when I traveled for AG Financial, you know I I didn't I. I worked with mostly Christian schools, and I would go visit a lot of churches when I was in, you know, in between. But I'm, you know, I'm asking these Christian school teachers who already make very, very little, you know, if I can get them to save five dollars a month out of their five dollars paycheck, you know, I thought I was doing pretty good. Um, but it is, it, you know, and those would be schools that didn't offer any kind of retirement benefit. So it's even harder to try to get them to participate. So what I would encourage the church leadership or school leadership to do is. Offer it, but make it make it something you have to share. Make it a, make it a matching benefit, and you can do that. Where you can set it up, where it could be a dollar per dollar match, or if they put in fifty cents, the church will put in a dollar, or you know, just to incentivize it and say this piece of compensation is only available if you participate. You know, you can do that as an employer. You have that prerogative, um, and you can determine what that cost sharing would look like. Um, but you want to you want to make it non-negotiable. If they choose not to participate, then they are forfeiting a piece of their compensation. That's on them. That's not on the church. Um, hopefully, you'll make it attractive enough. You know, especially a dollar a dollar for dollar return. No no investment's going to do that. No investment's going to double your investment the moment it goes in. Even more if you said, okay, we'll match a dollar for every fifty cents. You know, that's even more more attractive for them to participate. Um, and if they choose not to double their money or triple their money, then that is that is on them, and you can tell them to call and talk to me, and I'll tell them they're being dumb, uh, so you don't have to. Um, if the pastor invests in that way, is that pre-tax or post-tax? Great question. When you invest that way, is it pre-tax or post-tax? It... it can be both, but I highly encourage for ministers who are credential ministers to make sure that they're utilizing it as a pre-tax investment. Um, with it within the Assemblies of God 403B that we have, it's called a church plan. Uh, it's something we were talking about just a little bit before session started. Um, that you can you can 
put money into that as a minister, and it all goes in pre-tax. So when I mentioned earlier that the salary and housing are both subject to self-employment taxes, the salary is subject to income taxes. Any dollar that the church puts in as an employer contribution or that the minister puts in as employee deferral goes in before any of those taxes are ever considered. And then, as a minister, if they still have any kind of housing allowance that comes back to them in retirement, it comes back to them with zero taxes when it comes back as housing allowance because there is no way for them to tax, for self-employment purposes, retirement dollars, and it will come to them as housing allowance, just like their, their, income, their housing allowance from the church right now is not subject to income taxes. It can come from the a housing allowance distribution, can come from the retirement plan, and there's no income taxes. So it truly goes in and comes out with zero tax when it's housing allowance for a minister. Um, it, they may not qualify for all of it to be housing allowance. That's okay, because then that just means it will be taxed then at retirement which rule of thumb for most ministers, or many, I'll say many, I, I don't want to say most, rule of thumb for, most, for many ministers is that their tax, li- their tax bracket will be lower in retirement than it is during their peak earning years. So the tax they would have to pay on whatever comes as taxable income will actually be a lower tax than what they would pay if they put it in pre-tax. They could choose to put some in as a Roth 403B, which is they pay the tax now and they never pay taxes later on that. So if, if I was a genius, and I am not, I could figure out okay, if I'm going to have this much in my retirement account and I think this much is going to be housing, then I want to put this percentage of my current contributions going in as pre-tax, and this will go in as Roth. So I have the Roth, the Roth will be, I'm going to pay taxes now, so I don't pay it later. And then this portion will be, I'm not going to pay taxes now because I'm going to take it out as housing and not pay any tax later. But in my mind, that's too many variables and... I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to let it all go into my pre-tax investment, believing that the majority of what I'm taking out, if not all, will come as housing allowance later on. I'm worried about time. I've got to move along here. Um, the church can assist. I mentioned that the church provided parsonage earlier as being something that it is something to self-employment taxes. In that scenario the minister has no means of accumulating equity in a home when the church is providing a parsonage. But what the church can do is provide a parsonage. In, when there's a parsonage scenario, they can provide an equity allowance. Now, it's not the same as a housing allowance because it is not tax-free um, if it comes directly to the minister. What I encouraged... Uh, many of our churches that I used to speak with when I would travel is in that scenario because the desire is to provide something for the for the minister for their future they could do one of two things they could provide it and it's taxable compensation he socks it away he's so he accumulates money that's available that if he ever leaves the church then he has something to take with him to use as a down payment at the next place but what was more common is to avoid all that tax scenario is because you can take a hardship withdrawal from a retirement account for the down payment on a home 
So what I encouraged was is put it into their retirement account. You can fund put that whatever that amount you would determine because you know it's okay. We want to give him an extra thousand dollars a year or two thousand dollars a year that will go into the retirement in lieu of the fact that he's not gaining any equity in a home or she. Pardon me, because my wife is lead pastor. Sorry, sweetheart. Um, uh, you know we're going to put that extra money into his retirement account in lieu of not getting equity in a home so that he he or she has that available later on uh, should they ever need that. Last component is expense reimbursements. Um, You may or may not be aware um, that there is no longer a tax deduction for the individual for any out-of-pocket business expenses. So... I think that went into effect with 2018, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember exactly. But there was a day that, you know, if someone had to pay something and their employer was not going to reimburse them, an employee could claim that as a tax deduction on their tax return. But those days are gone. So you want to have an accountable reimbursement plan in place so that when, when someone spends anything out of pocket on behalf of the ministry, the church is going to reimburse that. Okay, that way there's no tax liability, I mean, it's no tax liability of any kind, uh, or it's fully tax advantaged, I should probably say. It's the other side of that. It's all pre-tax and avoids tax. Um, But there are two different classifications of the type of expense that a minister may have, and not all of them, a church may feel comfortable in reimbursing, and that's because, well, okay, they went out and they had to buy some copy paper for the church. Well, obviously the church wants to cover that as an office expense. But not all churches view the dues that a minister must pay in order to maintain their credentials as being the responsibility of the church to pay, because it's that it's like the lawyer who has to pay bar association dues. He is responsible for that. And I don't know, maybe some law firms pay cover those, but in my mind, that's an individual responsibility. There's no ownership benefit to the church if the minister does or does not pay his dues. But that is a very real expense to Harry Peterson as pastor where he has to pay dues to the Ohio Ministry Network and he has to pay dues to the General Council of the Assemblies of God. What can happen is you can take a piece of that salary component that normally would go to your pastor as salary that's fully taxed and you can and based on again perhaps an estimation of expenses or you could simply say here is the here is the maximum that we will do and i would probably go about it in two different ways the way we which is kind of how we do it at the office at the beginning of each year i should say end of each year we fill out a document where where i must estimate the amount of out of pocket expenses that i'm going to have that do not benefit the ohio ministry network so I'm going to take. I'm going to, I have to estimate how much am I going to pay in general counsel dues? How much am I going to pay in Ohio Ministry Network dues? How much am I going to buy a new a new tablet that I'm going to retain the ownership of? I can I can get reimbursed up to 75 percent of technology items by having that dollar amount withheld from my salary ahead of time. And it's put into a fund or just 
we keep track of how much the spending, spending is done. We call it business and professional expense reimbursement. So some say BAP for business and professional, or some say BPE for business and professional expense. And it's the stuff that I will own when all is said and done, but I'm using some of my salary to fund it because then I'm going to get reimbursed using what would have been taxable dollars that the office can reimburse me for those items that they don't benefit from, but they're going to pay me anyway. They're going to pay me salary, or they're going to reimburse me some, some of that to cover these other things. And that's a way that then the minister doesn't have a tax burden that he, he or she would have, and that's by setting up that business expense reimbursement uh, plan for your for your staff. Question? Did I see a hand? That one, no, but thank you. I, I should have put that in there. Uh, if you guys want to email me afterwards, we can Shelby at OhioMinistry.net, um, which you could probably get to that from within the, the app, uh, the schedule. Uh, we do have we do have information about that we have the reimbursement form that we use at the office that we can make available uh, to you as well. So basically, the minister needs to determine how much they think that's going to be. Is it 1000 It's essentially those things that are, that are not going to be owned by the church when, when all is said and done. So if I go out and buy office supplies, the church is going to reimburse me, the church is going to own it. That's, I'm not going to put that dollar amount in my, in my guess. It's the things that I'm going to own when all is said and done, or I have to pay that do not benefit the, the office in any way. That can go underneath that professional world, uh, business expense reimbursement. Yeah. Is the minister's tithe considered a BPA? Is the minister's tithe considered that? Actually, based on a letter that this is attorney, a legal legal representative opinion from Dr. Hammer, he does he does view because it depends on it's dependent on how the bylaws for the district that a minister resides in is is, is credentialed with what their bylaws say. If if the bylaws say that if a minister does not pay his dues, he can be dismissed, which ours do. Uh, then it's much like what that lawyer or a doctor would have to pay to their professional association in order to maintain their credential. So it's actually better for me to view that as a, as a business expense and not have to pay any taxes on it than for me to give it as a gift to the Ohio Ministry Network as tithes. I, do not, I, don't, I don't treat any of what I give to the general counsel or to or to the Ohio Ministry Network that I give in, in that dues category, I do not view any of that as charitable giving. I exclude that from all of my charitable giving numbers because I'm viewing it as an out-of-pocket business expense that, I, that I'm getting reimbursed for. Uh, okay, very quickly, how to determine a pastor's compensation? Um, look at professional salaries in your area. I think I've already gone... Past, yeah, so I don't have a slide for this. Um, look at professional salaries in your area. Uh, when I did this, I went to the, my local chamber of commerce. When I was a, a, a church administrator in North Carolina, I went to the local chamber of commerce and asked them for the for that for that salary data that they provided. I think that time it was like two bucks for me to get it from them. And uh, Dan Busby, uh, who has recommended resource in a couple of those articles that I wrote, um, he is he is basically the southern. Baptist Association version of Richard Hammer, which is our chief legal counsel. He's not a lawyer. He is their CPA main 
guy um, and has been the president of EC of the Evangelical Council for Fiscal Accountability uh, in the past, um, if he's not still. Uh, but he he writes a couple of books and and that I use every year. And he he says uh, he suggests that a pastor should be paid as much as an elementary, middle, or high school principal in your local area. That those would be a, those would be the comparable uh, scenarios. A youth or children's pastor would compare to a first year police officer in your area. Uh, these are often required to live in the city of employment, so their wage is based on that city's cost of living. So if you look at that first-year police officer, your children's and youth pastor could be comparable to those individuals. Uh, there are studies out there. Churchsalary.com is from Christianity Today. They used to do a book, but it, the, the survey is so big now, it's just a, it's a, you can do an ongoing subscription or an as-needed you know, short-term subscription to get whatever salary data you might want for all kinds of roles within a local church. Um, th- uh, ministrypay.com is another one that's very comparable to search to churchsalary.com. That comes from what's called the, the Church Network, which used to be known as the Network for uh, the National Association of, for Church Business Administration. Um, so church, churchsalary.com, ministrypay.com, and those give you granular data on all different kinds of the roles of a church, the state, the denomination. I mean, you can get as specific or as broad as you want to be in determining that information. Okay, I promise to give time for questions and answers. So if I don't get to these current recent developments, I'm not going to complain. So are there any anything that you guys would want to would want to ask about what we've talked about or other issues that may be going on in your in your arena these days? Okay, I'll proceed, and then if something comes to mind. Um, we have a couple of recent developments that I just want to make you aware of. Uh, this one may not apply to anybody in the room. It may not apply to any of your ministers. Um, but there is a possibility of an opportunity for those who at one time opted out of Social Security and Medicare, because that is an option for ministers. Uh, there was one time in the, ni- in the late 1970s, one time in the late 80s and one time in 99 to 2000 where those who had opted out of Social Security had the chance to opt back in. And that is possibly going to happen. It was just recently introduced. It's called the Clergy Act of 2020. It's House Bill 5904. It was introduced on February 13th by a Republican uh, representative from California, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, so he, he has proposed this new one. Uh, it is so brand new, it got immediately deferred to the Ways and Means Committee, so there's no vote of any kind scheduled. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's still got a long way to go before we hear the outcome. But this is, this is significant. Um, when I used to travel with AG Financial Retirement, I would encounter you know, youth pastors that, oh, my, 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 my pastor has told me I should opt out of Social Security. And I'm like... Okay, well, first you have to have a religious objection to social insurance, not a felt desire not to pay taxes. And, you know, and I said, you just got out of college, right? Yes, I did. I said, did you by chance take any federal loan money while you were in school? Oh, yeah, there's no way I would have gotten through school without, without student loans. I said, like, okay, they are not the same. 
you know, social insurance, federal funds for student aid. They're not the same, but if you are very, very willing to take this, this money, you're going to have a very hard time convincing anybody that you have a religious objection to taking this money. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. And officially, the AG stance is that we do not opt out. But there is a methodology by which ministers have done that, even in the AG, because they, they still have to go, there's a process they have to go through. They can. Uh, so I have encountered that, um, that that happens. Um, the question would be, if this actually becomes a reality, should I opt back in? So I don't know if any of you have opted out or if any of your ministers have opted out. The question to answer whether or not should I opt back in is, have you ever worked secular employment or any other employment that you did pay Social Security and Medicare taxes as a non-minister employee? Did you work for a minimum of 10 years in that capacity? Because you have to work for 10 years, you earn one Social Security credit per quarter, so four per year. You have to have 40 credits in order to get your max, you know, whatever your maximum Social Security benefits would be. So if you've already had 10 full years of, of regular ministry employment and they were strong earnings years, because we've had individuals that have come out of the secular environment into ministry, if they may not need to opt back in because they have the capability of, of receiving social security, social security benefits. The key thing with that is, if, you've opt, if you are opted out of Social Security, you've also opted out of Medicare. And that's a tricky one. Um, but if they've, if they've met that, if they've met with a, okay, I want to opt back in, the proposal is that they would have a two-year window from that they would have to file their application to opt back in by the deadline of their tax return of the second year of income after December 31st. So ultimately we're talking April 15th of 2023 when they're doing their 2022 taxes. Or whenever their taxes are filed, they'd have to put in the opt-in application before that filing. So right now it's a ways down the road, but it is a possibility of something that's going to be happening. Has anyone heard of the individual coverage health reimbursement arrangement? This is known as ICRA in the human resources world. I looked it up. There was, did anybody come three years ago? I did a presentation on the Qualified Small Employer Health Reimbursement Arrangement, the QSERA. Well, that was a big step forward because with Obamacare, the standalone HRA, where many churches would just reimburse whatever they wanted to out of a, you know, for a pastor, that went the way of the dodo. There was an exception there, but for the most part, that, that kind of plan was eliminated. The QSERA was a big, was a big step back to provide something for those, um, but it still had challenges. Um, one big difference, obviously, is that the SE in QSERA means small employer, but, and that meant under 50 FTE, but an ICRA is available to any employer of any size. There are no restrictions on the, the size of participating organizations. So that's one, one of the big difference. Um, but like the QSERA plan, as the name suggests, individual coverage health reimbursement arrangement assumes or requires that the individual has their own privately acquired individual health insurance plan. Uh, so that means um, 
Well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. So you have to have... You have to have health insurance in order to receive benefits from an ICRA. It is more flexible than the QSERA plan in that there's no maximum contribution amount. Uh, the, I think the maximum in 2020 for the QSERA plan for an employee only is like 5200 and then I think an, a family uh, maximum is 10-6. But in the individual coverage health reimbursement arrangement arena, the employer can reimburse whatever it wants to. There's no maximum limit on there. So it's definitely more flexible in that regard. Uh, you can customize the, the amount of the contribution from the employer based on the family size. So you can say, okay, for employee, this is how much we're going to provide. For employee spouse, this is how much we're going to supply. And then for employee family, this is how much we're going to contribute to the, to the health reimbursement. You can also do it on age. So, and there's some mathing involved, but you can say, okay, we want, we're going to do this amount. And the, the site that I referred to, there's a place called, there's a website called Take Command Health. Dot com is where actually I found a great, very comprehensive uh, information where all this came from on ICRA. Uh, but they, there's some math involved, and they say, okay, so for anyone that's 26 and under, we're going to do a hundred dollars a month contribution, and then for those that are over age 60, we're going to do four hundred dollars a month, and then for everybody between there, there's math involved to get it to where it's equitable. So you can, so everybody gets the an equitable amount. Or you can do a combination of those two. And you say, well, why would you want to bother with that? Because it's not as flexible for our church as most likely to simply say, our support staff will get this benefit and our, and our ministry, our pastoral staff will get this benefit. And that's because you can create different classes of employees, but every class has to have at least 10 employees in it. And most of our churches have one, one person on payroll. So, or if you get to the world where you're going to pay for a second person, you still don't have a class. So that's why you're going to break it up by age or by family size. And you know, then you hire someone who's very young and not married. <laughs> Sorry, I just said that, but it's true. Okay, I've got two minutes. I'm going to see if I can get through this last little bit here. Uh, it's, it's like any other health plan where you have to have official plan adopted. There are organizations out there that can simply provide the plan document for you. $200, give or take, is about what you will spend for them to do all the legwork for you. So it's pretty reasonable as far as that goes. <coughs> in that individual health coverage insurance is required, those involved in health sharing ministries do not qualify. So MediShare, Samaritan, Church, uh, Christian Healthcare Ministries, etc. Keep using that if you want to use that, but you cannot use an ICRA in, con in conjunction with that type of arrangement. I don't want to get into the weeds um, because there are some weeds to be gotten into. So um, I will stop there and ask if there's any questions that anybody might have. Otherwise, I will call it a day. Yes, Dale. Hey, I have three questions. Uh, thanks for the presentation. Thank you. First question is, is there an industry standard for a percentage that goes towards salary? 
Well, I think I may have mentioned that right before you came in. Somewhere between 30 and 50% of the expense budget will go towards, towards salaries and benefits, and the difference would be dependent on whether they are paying for facilities on a monthly basis. If they are paying for rent or mortgage, it's probably going to lean more to the 30 to 35% range. If they're debt-free and don't have rent payment, then they may spend up somewhere 45 to 50% of their of their expenses going to uh, salaries and benefits. That's rent, so it's probably going to be, it's, when you're paying to have a facility, you're probably going to be in that 30 to 35 percent range, maybe up to 40, but... Going to salary. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because you're not spending money just to have the building around you. Does the does the network have have this already well in hand? I would say we are working on that, but no, I, I am not aware of something that has that. Uh, um, but I would say that the church development office has some great materials on budgeting. Actually, one of the attachments that's in the notes from the from the online system is is a guide from the from AG Financial on budgeting, and it gives those percentages of where every of what you want to focus and target for for how you spend your your expenses. So, uh, you know, it's I said I may have, again maybe right before you came in. If you do thirty percent to your salaries and benefits, thirty percent to providing your facility if you have to pay rent or a mortgage, and then 30% for your church ministries. And then that gives you 10% of buffer, you know, either, you know, to, to reallocate. So that's that's pretty good rule of thumb. So it'll be some, some maybe 30 to 35, you know, 40 to 45, you know, in there, back and forth a little bit. Do you have a third question, or was that it? That's it. I think all right. Hey, hope you all have a very wonderful afternoon. Head to lunch. Get there quick so not all the good sandwiches are taken. All right. God bless. Thank you.